Our scripture this morning comes from Galatians 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The word of the Lord. Well, happy new year and welcome to Terwilliger Community Church. Uh, my name is Adam Beyer. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And uh, I'm excited to be sharing with you the message this morning. Uh, and as we get ready for tonight to celebrate and bring into the new year, uh, bring the new year in, I'm not sure if you've been thinking about New Year's resolutions. I know if you listen to the radio, they, they've been talking a lot about these different types of things. Uh, and it's hilarious to, to hear how um, the focus when we talk about New Year's resolutions isn't often the resolution itself, but how often people fail at keeping these resolutions. We say people who get new uh, gym memberships will most likely not be going back to the gym after the month of March. Uh, you, you hear about diets and all these different things where, where people make all these vows and resolutions to, to make their lives better. But they end up ultimately not succeeding in those. Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Anyone in this room? Yeah? I've, I've made several New Year's resolutions over my life. Um, last year, if you resolved to read the Bible through in a year, you finished this morning, right? A few of us? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember doing that resolution specifically growing up. Every year it came around the uh, time of New Year's and it was like, oh yeah, I'm going to read through my Bible this year. You know, you do well getting through Genesis and um, Exodus and then you get to this book called Leviticus and you're just like, oh man, like I, really? Okay, and you, you try and you try and maybe you make it through, maybe you don't. Um, but we make New Year's resolutions often every year. Whether we write them down, whether we share them with a friend, uh, and throughout the year, we make resolutions. We, we think about things in our lives where we see a deficiency. And we think about something that we, we want to do better in. And so we resolve within ourselves to, to create a plan, to create a structure, to do something so that we can do better in a specific area. And I think what's interesting about resolutions is, is not the resolutions themselves, but what's beneath them. Because every time we resolve to do something better, what we're making a claim about ourselves is that there's something about myself that I am unsatisfied about. There's something about me that I don't like. There's something that when I look at those around me and I see the way that so-and-so is living their life, I, I, I want what they have. Or when I look at this area over here, there's something in that area that I want that I don't have. So I need to resolve within myself, make changes in my life so that I can have this thing. And a lot of these resolutions are a good thing. You know, it's good for us to eat healthy. It's good for us to exercise. It's, it's very good for us to read the Bible. It's good for us to study God's Word. But what's interesting and something we need to think about is what can sometimes be below these resolutions. Because at the very core of it, what we're ultimately wanting to resolve is, is things that shape and form who we are. Our identity. It's this reality that sometimes we look in the mirror and what we see in the mirror isn't a person that we like. We might look in the mirror and be frustrated at the reflection that's looking back at us. We might look in the mirror and all we see are the deficiencies. 
And what starts going through our heads is, man, if you could only be better in this area. If only I was making more money. If only I had more stuff. If only this. If only that. If only I was a better parent. If only my GPA was higher. If only I was climbing the ladder at work just that much more. And we begin to look at the core of who we are, not in a way that God designed us to look at ourselves, but we look at ourselves in a, in a very frustrating way. But this morning I want to talk about what the Word of God has to say about our identity. And I think it's so appropriate coming off the heels of Christmas. Um, Pastor Quinn read our passage this morning and it starts with these beautiful words. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know, and we just celebrated the fullness of time coming. And there's a lot of debate scholarly around what that means, the fullness of time, um, that specific time in, in, our, in, in the scope of time in which Jesus came. Um, but, but nevertheless, we, we just celebrated the fullness of time having come. And Jesus coming born of a woman, born under the law. And when we think about Christmas, we think about Jesus coming. We've been talking about this, this, this whole past month. We talk about the joy that Jesus brought, the hope he brought, the peace he brought, the love that Jesus brought. If you were here last weekend, we stood in this room and we lit candles to symbolize and represent that Jesus is the light of the world. And we looked around and it's like, man, Jesus is the light of the world. And when we think about Jesus coming and we think about Christmas, I think oftentimes our primary thought rests on this, these, these truths that we've just been talking about, but also on the fact that, that Jesus came to make a way for humanity to be reconciled with God. That because Jesus came, now we have access to God the Father. This is also true. But something we often don't talk about at Christmas time is the rest of this verse. And so Paul goes on to say, he says, But when the fullness of time had come... God sent his forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that we might receive adoption as sons. I think Paul makes it very clear here that the reason Jesus came is that we might be children of God. The reason that Jesus came was to give us a new status, to give us a new heart, to give us a hope that is so different than the hope of this world. Jesus came to give us ultimately a new identity. In my, when I was uh, in college, in my th theology classes, our theology professor asked this question. He said, what is the heart of the Christian faith? What is the core heart of the Christian faith? Well, that's an interesting question. And a few, you might even be thinking of different answers to this question. But he took us to this passage and he said that the heart of the Christian faith is that we might participate in the sonship of Christ. The heart of the Christian faith is that we might participate in the sonship of Christ. That we would look at ourselves and consider ourselves children of God. So as we make resolutions, whether that's today or tomorrow in the next week, considering this new year, as we think about who we are, as we think about deficiencies in our lives, things that we want to change, as we consider who it is that we want to be, we need to do so remembering 
meditating on and believing that our identity should be rooted in the truth. That if we have faith in Jesus, we are children of God. And when we consider the deficiencies in our life, it needs to begin at this place where we understand, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And maybe you've heard this before. Maybe as we sing songs like, Good, Good Father, you're like, yeah, I'm a child of God. But what does that mean? What does that mean? I want to talk about that today. I think in this passage, Paul kind of lays out a few things about what it means for us to be children of God. And talking about identity for me is maybe a foolish uh, undertaking. Identity is a very complex topic, um, and I'm by no means an expert. Um, but the reason I want to talk about it this morning is that we live in a culture that wants to tie our identity to our productivity. We, want, we, want to, we live in a culture where, our, where they want to look at us and define who we are by our usefulness, or our success, or our appearance, our achievements, our status in our schools and our workplaces, and even sometimes our homes. These are all places where, where people are looking at us and making judgments and coming to conclusions about who we are based on the things that we do and do not do, or based on what we have and do not have. And we're so tempted to turn to these things as the source of our worth. Or worse, we believe that we are not loved unless we obtain a certain status or perform a certain way or look a certain way. And I want us to forget culture for a minute. But how often do we translate our understanding of needing to work to achieve worth from our culture? How often do we translate that into our relationship with God? That we look at God and we say, yeah, me and God aren't doing very well lately. I haven't been to church for a few months. Or we look at God and we're like, oh, God, you know, he's probably a little upset with me. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't really prayed. And we start looking at our, even our relationship with God as, as something that hinges on the things that we do not do. Rather than hinging on the fact that we are his children and that we are loved by him. And this letter to the Galatian churches, uh, this one that we're reading from this morning, was dealing with this issue. They believed that they needed to do X, Y, and Z so that they could be in right relationship with God. And we often can live as though we have to earn God's love. But friends, we are loved by God. You are loved by God. And that is a message in the scriptures that is consistent from the beginning to the end. That you are loved by God. In this letter, we read about this community where... They just, they're all upset, and they want to live their lives uh, so much by the, those first five books of the Bible, the, the law. They want to make sure they're doing all of the right things. And they're trying to get all those around them to do the same thing. And they start teaching people that, no, being, being in right relationship with God, you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to do this and that and the other thing. And, and Paul's saying, whoa, 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 no. You're forgetting Jesus. You're forgetting that Jesus came and that he's calling all of mankind to receive from himself a new status, a new identity. And that's what we read about in this passage. The first point I want to hit on is that in Jesus we are given a new status. 
And I think when we contemplate Christmas and why Jesus came, this is typically the first thing we think of, that Christ has redeemed us. And we read here in our passage that, that Jesus was sent born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. But what is, what is redeemed? You know, this is a word I think we throw around a lot, especially in church. Its original meaning is to loose something or to buy it back. Um, but it's often used in the context of freeing someone from chains or slavery or, or from prison. So you get this image that if someone is, is sitting in a prison cell and they have chains around their wrists, maybe, maybe their sentence has been fulfilled, so they've been in prison for as long as the courts decided they should be there. Or maybe someone has come and, and, and paid a ransom for them to be taken out of prison. But that action of them being taken out of prison based on an act, someone else's action or even their own action is called redemption. They've redeemed themselves for whatever it was they did, whether through payment or, or fulfilling their time, and now those chains are coming off, and they're set free from being in prison. So we think about Jesus redeeming us, we understand that his death on the cross was the transaction required to free us from the penalty of sin, which takes us from a position of separation to God to being close to God. Or in the, with the language that Paul's using in this passage, from a position of slavery to sonship. But the key to this, though, is that it's Jesus' redeeming work which gives us a new status. The basis of this status is not something that we have to work for. Rather, it's something that we have to receive. Which I think is very interesting. Here in Scripture, we're seeing that the very basis of our status and our, our right relationship with God isn't something we work for. It isn't something that we labor in. It's something that we receive from God. We receive it as a gift from God. So when the world says that we have to do all of these things to obtain a certain status, to obtain our worth, Scripture's teaching us that Jesus has done the work. Our worth, our value, our acceptance can be found in Jesus. And it's interesting when we think about this idea of status change. Because we all want status change in our lives, don't we? Our New Year's resolutions or any resolution we make are things that we hope will work in our lives and redeem us in areas of our own lives. We want to be picked up from one place and plopped down somewhere else into the place we want to be. We want to be picked up from one weight and plopped down into another weight. <laughs> and we want to redeem ourselves in our health. Or we want to be picked up from a place of friendlessness and plopped down into a specific friend group. We want to be picked up from one position at work and plopped down into another. We want to be picked up out of our imperfections and be plopped down into a perfect position. We desire status change. The problem with these statuses is that it's a status we're hoping to get from culture. We want those around us to look at us and see and approve of who we are. And we hope that these statuses will somehow fulfill a longing that's in each and every one of us. We think that a status change will lead to acceptance, to love, 
to a sense of contentment in our life. And we look at these resolutions as, as a way to say, man, if only I get this, then I'll be happy. Then I will have arrived. Then, you know, and, and the list goes on and on. But friends, when we're seeking status from our culture, we will never be satisfied. There'll always be a desire for more. But these longings in us, this desire for love, this desire for acceptance, this desire to, to just know that who you are as God has created you to be is enough, that can only be met in God. In verse 7 of this passage, um, Paul goes on to say that, that so we are no longer slaves, but sons. And if sons, then an heir through God. Paul says that because of what Jesus has done, we are no longer slaves. Now the context of this passage, Paul's talking about the law. He's really talking about, he's talking about the law and this church and their relationship to God and their desire to, to fulfill the law in and of themselves so that they'll be in right status with God. Um, but it's interesting when I consider our culture and, and the way that, that we live our lives, I think it's, it's so easy for us to be living in such a way that we're a slave to our culture. More than the Galatians, in the way that the Galatian church was a slave to God's law and wanting to live in that, we can place ourselves in a position where we're slaves to our culture, desiring to, to have a right status in there. But in that, how, how often do we feel this intense sense of striving, this intense fatigue, because trying to gain a right status, whether with God by our own efforts or in our culture, by making all these resolutions. It's exhausting. There's no end to it. But our text this morning invites us to stop striving. To stop chasing after a status change in and of ourselves. And instead, rest in the work that Jesus has done to redeem us. Paul is inviting us in this passage to recognize why Jesus came. That Jesus isn't supposed to be a nice addition to your life. That Jesus isn't supposed to be in addition to everything else. That he's meant to be your life. And that your true status, your true sense of identity is to be found in him. And maybe you hear me talking about this. You're saying, okay, like, I get that. I have a changed status. I'm a son of God. But what does that actually mean? How am I supposed to live that out? Well, I think Paul answers that in the next verse. He goes on to say, He wants to redeem those who are under the law so they may, might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So how do we live this way? Well, we live out of the new heart that Jesus has given us. In Jesus, we have been given this new heart. You see, when we place our identity in what we can achieve, we might be operating out of a place of insecurity. We might be operating out of a place of competition. Or if we're just striving for a certain status, everything we do, you know, it, the, what we're living out of is trying to achieve that thing. But if we rest in the status that we have in Jesus, and we live out of the heart that Jesus has given us, it's a totally different thing. Paul teaches us that with this new status comes a new heart. 
And it's from this heart that we are meant to live. And what's, what is that heart? Well, it's the heart of a child. We're to live out of the heart of being a child, a heart that cries out, Abba, Father. You know, this term Abba was an Aramaic equivalent to saying the word Daddy. What Paul is saying here is that we're to look to God and say, Daddy. And when we read the New Testament, we see that Jesus called God not only his Father, but he called him Abba. It was the language of a child. I think the most amazing example of this is when we have Jesus in the garden before he's about to be taken captive by the Romans to be crucified. He's praying to God in Mark chapter 14, verse 6, and he says, Abba, Father, that if you can let this cup pass from me. We have Jesus in this this place of despair and, and looking towards the cross. He cries out, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. It is a term which recognizes not only the affection that a child has for a father, but it was also a term that was a term of respect, one that recognized the authority that the father had over the child. So our new heart enables us to interact with God as a child interacts with their father. This might be a very strange concept to some of us. You know, as I say that, you might think of your own father. I'd be like, I didn't really, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. I don't want to interact with God the way I interacted with my father. My father was very harsh. He was very impatient. He wasn't very loving. But what's amazing is when we interact with God as father, we are interacting with a perfect father who is forever patient, forever kind, forever loving. We need to consider the status change that we've received. That, that when, when our status changed because of what Jesus did, it wasn't a change from, from being God's enemy to God's friend. It wasn't that simple. It wasn't going from being you know, totally distant from God and now God's saying, oh, hey, come be my coworker, Come work with me. It wasn't becoming all buddy-buddy with God. No, it was becoming a child of God. Which is so much more. I think it's, it's easy for us in our Christian walks to look at God as, and say, well, I'm working for God, so it's, I'm kind of like I'm his co-worker. Or, yeah, me and God, we're, we're friends, we're tight. It's like, no, that's not enough. Has God called us friend? Absolutely. Are we laboring with God? Are we ministering for him? Absolutely. But what the status change that has taken place is... God is now calling us His child. We are now God's children. And as a child, we're able to lean on God as children. We can call out to Him when we need it. We can look to Him for affection. We can spend time with Him the way that a child would spend time with his father. Do you see how this would change everything else? If we get it, If our identity begins at this place where we are children of God, it changes everything else. 
As we live out of this new heart, the heart of a child, we are able to live as God called us to live. If Galatians chapter 4 tells us why Jesus came, that we might be children of God, John 10.10 tells us more about what it looks, what, how that worked out. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, we have Jesus' personal mission statement, where he says that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that you might have life, and life abundantly. So if Jesus came that we might be sons, Jesus' mission on earth was to bring life abundantly. And if we hold those two passages up, uh, we can see that living a life as a child and engaging in life the way that Jesus engaged in life as a child to the Father, that is where we will find life to the full. When it comes to our New Year's resolutions, we believe that full life is somehow hidden in a better diet in physical fitness, and having a better appearance, or having greater disciplines, achieving greater academics, reaching that higher status. Again, some of these things are not bad in and of themselves, but we can't miss that full life cannot be found apart from Jesus. Full life cannot be found apart from our relationship with Jesus. We can work on these other things, but if we miss that the life that God designed us to live, the way that God wired us, it's meant to be lived out in the way that Jesus taught us to live. And that is where we will find full life. As we live out of this new heart, as we walk in God's spirit, it enables us to hear God's heart for us. And as we journey through life, we need to do so in this new status, with this new heart which is the same heart which Jesus lived out of. When Jesus was baptized, he heard from God these amazing words. We read in Mark chapter 1, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And I believe that as we live out of this new heart that God's given, this heart that cries out, Abba, Father, one of the things that that heart allows us to do is hear God's voice speaking to us. And do you know what I love about this passage in Mark? Is, you know, Jesus came fully man, born under the law. Before Jesus engages in his ministry, Before he starts doing the mission which God sent him to do, what does God say to him? Does he sit him down and say, okay, son, this is the game plan. This is what we need you to do. Okay, you better not screw this up. No, he doesn't say that. Where does God start? He says, you are loved, you are my child, and I am well pleased with you. You are loved, you are my child, and I am well pleased pleased with you. I'm convinced that everyone in this room needs to hear that this morning. That if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Him, Jesus has given you a new status. And He's also given you a new heart. One that enables you to hear these words, that you are loved. You are a child of God. And He is pleased with you. 
living out of this new heart is living with this anthem playing in your head that I am a child of God. He is, I am loved. He is pleased with me. Lastly, in this passage, we read that in Jesus we have a new hope. That's not the Star Wars movie, but it's, it's a different hope, a greater hope. Jesus has given us a new status. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a new hope. And this passage ends like this. It said, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul concludes this declarative, this, with this declarative statement about our identity saying that we are no longer slaves. Which is a remarkable thing. And when I was talking about redemption earlier, that's what's taken place. And in the way that in our culture we are running, trying to achieve a status, trying to achieve all of these things, and really subjecting ourselves and making ourselves slaves to this world around us, in Jesus, in this new hope, we don't have to be slaves. We can stop the striving. That's what we read about in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what's the amazing thing about that passage? Is just before Jesus says that, in uh, in Matthew chapter 11, we have something that uh, theologians call it a Christological disclosure principle, um, where where Jesus is saying that all things, the Father has revealed all things to the Son. And so Jesus is is basically saying that I can reveal to you the Father. I can reveal the Father. And then after he says that I can reveal to you the Father, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying that as we come to him, we come to the Father. And as children can collapse in their Father's arms, we can collapse in our Heavenly Father's arms. We can feel his embrace. We can hear him speak over us that we are his children, that we are loved, and that he is pleased with us. So we're no longer slaves. And what's amazing is our identity is sealed in the truth of God's word. That it's not something that we have to labor in to be children of God. We base our identity in our work, we become slaves to our work. When we base our identity in our appearance, we become slaves to our appearance. When we base our identities in being perfect, we base our identities and we become slaves to the things that we believe are going to make us perfect. But when our identity is in Christ, we are no longer slaves. When our identity is sealed in what Jesus has done, and not in what we do, we can rest in that. There is an assurance that tomorrow, that next month, next year, ten years from now, that identity doesn't change. You are still a child of God. You are still loved, and He is still pleased with you. The second thing that Paul hints at here is that we are sons and heirs. If a son, then an heir through God. Now, some of us, uh, when, when Quinn read the passage, he was reading from the New Living Translation, and it doesn't use the word son. It, it keeps talking in this, this term, children. 
Um, but it's interesting when we look at the culture of Paul's day and we see that him saying son uh, was a very specific choice. That it wasn't something that was supposed to be um, necessarily translated uh, to child. Paul is, be, is not being, Paul is not being sexist. There's something in the reference of son that would have not been conveyed in the term child or daughter. And that specifically is that the privileges inherent to becoming a man and inheriting a father's estate, that was only for a son. The daughters did not have the same privileges in the patriarchal world. But what's amazing here in this passage is we see that men and women are both called sons. Which Paul is saying that if you are a child of God, men and women, if you are a child of God, you are a son of God. Man and woman, you are a son of God. And because you are a son, you are in a position where you are able to receive the inheritance of a, of, from the Father. And this is a remarkable thing. You know, there's a lot of mystery around what that inheritance is. I think part of that inheritance is the truth that in Jesus we can have life to the full. That we, as we live our lives with Him, we are going to experience life to the full here on this earth. But in the age to come, the world to come, eternity with Jesus, where there is no more death, where the tears will be wiped from our eyes, that we will be in perfect relationship with God and with one another. This is our inheritance. Our inheritance with Christ is unspoiled. It is secured. It is unfading. It is imperishable. Friends, a lot of the things I've been using as examples this morning, things like our appearance, our job status, our wealth, all of these things, it's fleeting. All of these things are not secure. They could change. The economy could tank. All that you have could be taken from you. None of it is secure. But your identity as a child of God, that is secure. That is secure. So as we look forward into this new year, I want to invite you to remember who you belong to. I want you to remember who you belong to. Do you know your identity? When you look in the mirror, do you say to yourself, I am loved. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. And maybe some of you this morning, you're, you're hearing these words and you're like, yeah, you know, I've been a Christian for a number of years, but I don't get this stuff. I, this is tough for me. I want to encourage you to, to come talk to someone. After the service, we'll have um, our, some of our pastoral staff available to pray. And if you, if you want to know that afresh today, to know in the depths of your heart that you are a child of God, I invite you to come and, and receive prayer. We can just pray with you that, that, that God would reveal that to you in a new way, that you would know that to be true. And maybe you're just checking out church, our faith. Maybe you're just checking out God today. You came with a, a relative and... You're like, I'm not a Christian. This all sounds really strange to me. Or maybe you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty amazing to be a child of God. That begins with receiving this new status. 
which is it's just about putting our faith in Jesus. That as God moves in your heart and, and puts that longing in you to have that new status, it's responding to it. Then yes, God. It's looking at your life and recognizing, Lord, I've been, I've been striving, I've been running after all the wrong things. I've been placing my identity in all the wrong areas. But I want to know that my identity comes from you. Many of us this morning might need to repent of having misplaced priorities. We need to say to God, I'm sorry for placing my identity in the wrong areas. Just say to God, I want to know my identity as your child. going to close in prayer and um, if that's kind of what's going on your, in your heart I invite you to pray with me as I, as I close uh, the speaking time this morning Father God I praise you and thank you for the truth of your word Lord that in Jesus coming Jesus you didn't just come to, to just simply just make our relationship with God better no you came that we would be children of God You came that we might taste that intimacy that a a child has with their father. Lord, you you came to make that relationship right again. Lord, maybe many of us this morning don't necessarily, maybe we don't feel loved by you. Maybe we don't know that love. Maybe we don't understand what it is to be your child. But Father, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts, even now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear you say over us that you are a child. You are loved. I am pleased with you. Lord, I pray that the striving that we have in our lives where we are running after all of these things, trying to redeem different areas of our own lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to you and rest in who you are, Jesus. Rest in what you've done and rest in who we are because of what you have done. Lord, that is only a work your spirit can do. We invite you to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.